Hello everyone, this is Jerry Connolly and you're listening to the 80s Montage with Jay and Sammy. A man walks down the street, he says, why am I soft in the middle now? Why am I soft in the middle of rest of my life is so hard I need a photo opportunity I want a shot of redemption Don't want to end up a cartoon in a cartoon graveyard Bone digger, bone digger Dogs in the moonlight Far away my well-lit door Mr. Beer Belly, Beer Belly Get these mutts away from me, you know I don't find this stuff amusing Fucking baby seals. If you my bodyguard, I will be a long lost pal. What a fucking song, Sammy. Oh, it's not one of my faves. <laughs> this is Jay Jovi. I'm Sammy Hardon. And this is, of course, the 80s montage. So I can tell you straight out that that song, I fucking hated it. <laughs> It was why? Why? It's just too it's Paul shit. Simon. Huh? Paul, oh, Paul Simon, I can't stand anyway. Oh, really? Oh, no. I loved it. What? What did you I love about? Loved did you it. buy it? No, see, well, Chevy Chase was in the film clip. This is why I loved that it. That was the Chevy only thing Chase, that was good about it. Yeah, when I was a kid, Chevy Chase was a fucking god in our house because of like. Uh, Fletch and because of fucking uh, vacation. Lampoons, yeah. 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 Clark so, Griswold. We were the Griswolds. Oh, of course. I could see you being the Griswolds. Yeah. Without so, a little girl. This bloody. No, nah, that. Well, I was the girl. Yeah. We, we, in. in <laughs> In um, in this episode, guys, we're talking about comedy. Comedy, comedy of the eighties. What was funny? Comedy what the wasn't? 80s. Okay. And we've just picked a couple to talk about. There was a heap of you know stand-up comedy, TV shows, movie comedians. So we've done a mixture of everything, really. That's right. And the thing about comedians is they're fuck. They're they're. Fu- we're specifically talking about comedians. And, you know, films and stuff that they've done. So it's yeah. sort of like coming coming from the individuals themselves, who's fucking funny and and who's had a huge influence on us, especially as kids, you know, because comedy's huge and it's really important. And the 80s is kind of was a massive decade for comedy. Comedians were iconic in the 80s, you know, and, and you'll think of... I'm sure sort of a handful that you will know, people out there. We're going to have a bit of, chat, a bit of a chat about them. And they they were used in a lot of music videos. Like for some reason artists used to use them either miming the bass or, you know, like Happy had Robin Williams in it. A lot of comedians came up in the video clips. Yes, that's right. Well, you could you could be assured that of a great performance, I guess, from a from a comedian. The thing about comedians is they're fucking genius. They are genius people. They're they're very very mm. quick. Mm. You know, very creative and very fucking quick. So, uh, and they often had huge profiles. Yeah, and they were fun. So it was you know putting them into a film clip, into a music film clip, was actually a really smart thing to do because you get all of their fan base on board and it was just a great little uh, 
just a great little sort of marketing point. Like, yeah. oh, yeah, that's that's the film clip with fucking Chevy Chase in it. Yeah. Because, like, Paul Simon, I guess, you know, we knew of Paul Simon as being a 70s artist, really. That's right. With uh, so- Simon and Garfunkel. Yep. And in the 80s, of course, he went solo. So yeah. Paul Simon, although he's like a musical icon... As a personality, not a massive, massive personality. He's about sort of four foot nine as well. So he's, you know, not, not a kind of, you know, incredible songwriter and beautiful singer, but not visually an, an amazingly kind of arresting uh, person for a film clip. And 80s, of course, being the film clip era. Uh, of course, he was going to get somebody of um, a great, big profile like Chevy Chase. He would have met Chevy Chase on the set of SNL. Uh, Chevy Chase was one of the foundation members of SNL. We talk, Mm. of course, of Saturday Night Live. Um, Chevy was born Cornelius Chase. It was actually Cornelius Chase and it was his grandmother that gave him the nickname of Chevy Chase. Uh, And he would do uh, Saturday Night Live between I think about 75 till till right up until 79 and then in the 80s Chevy was known for all those amazing films like you know National Lampoon's Vacation 1, 2 and 3, uh, Fletch and Fletch Lives. He did Caddyshack as well. Remember Caddyshack? Oh, my favourite ever. Yeah. Polly and Waffle Three Amigos as well. Yeah. He was one of the Three Amigos, Yeah. Yeah. And in saying that this short-ass musician that couldn't that fucking had boring songs, he was Princess Layla. Didn't she marry him? Didn't she marry? F- oh, I don't know if they. Oh married. yeah, they married. I think they might have just. Oh, did yeah, they fuck really? Yeah, she was married to him. So they would have been hilarious as a couple. Well, she would have been funny, and he would have been as boring as batshit. How does that work? Oh, don't you like Chevy Chase? Not, no, not Chevy Chase. The fucking muso, Paul Simon. Paul Simon. Paul Simon. She married Paul, Paul Simon. Simon. What's her name from Star Wars? I know that's Carrie, Carrie Fisher. Carrie Fisher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see. So I, I mean, um, I remember, I remember seeing a photo of Paul Simon, Chevy Chase, and Carrie Fisher together. So this makes sense now. They all would have done drugs together. Yeah, I did. Well, uh, Paul Simon. I don't know about him doing drugs. Well, he was from the 70s. Yeah, but he was very fucking. The the fucking, what's the shit band he was in before this? It was very. Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah, fucking horrible. They were hippies, Bridge over troubled water. I'd fucking throw you over the bridge. Can't stand (laughs) it. I dated a guy, dated a guy. Well, I was banging a guy and he got up in the morning and put on Simon and Garfunkel and I fucking never went back there ever again. Never went. Oh, really? Yeah, could not do it. I was like, if you're a fan of them, I'm out. They were just too school project, high school project for me. I have the same feeling, what you're describing, about Billy Joel. Oh, right. Yeah. If someone puts on Piano Man, even though I like Piano Man kind of, if, if you're at a party or whatever and someone puts on Piano Man, I'm like, get the fuck away from the stereo. I will put on the music. Yeah, Thank you. yeah. Hasn't happened. Jesus. Hasn't happened. Jesus. Hasn't happened. I got a lot of students wanting to sing that song, and it's like, oh, you're going to grow up being a beauty, you know. 
<laughs> it's just like, yeah, your parents have told you to sing that, yeah, haven't they? Yeah, no. Well, I mean, look, it's cute, but Billy Joel isn't my favourite, but I really can't do Simon and Garfunkel, you know. Uh, yeah. So. Now, look, um, uh, yes, so Chevy Chase was in the film clip to Bloody You Can Call Me Al, the opening song of the show tonight. He just mimed. He just mimed in the film clip. So Paul Simon... He just plays the in- instruments in the film yeah. clip and Chevy Chase mimes the entire fucking song. Right. I actually thought as a kid it was a Chevy I Chase song. I did too. I thought, fuck yep. he, I thought, fuck, he can sing too. Yes, I did too because we didn't know the difference. He, that's right. I mean it took me a while so, to um, understand that musos actually didn't sing in their video clips. I actually thought it was all live. It was a live, like, incredible kind of miraculous. got in a jungle somewhere and started my – they would sing in live. Like, I didn't put two and two together when I was little. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess, like, leading up to the 80s, film clips were really – all they were was sort of live – you would see live performances of uh, songs. It wasn't until the 80s that – you know, late 70s, but it wasn't until the 80s that um, they started turning them into films. Yeah, MTV came about and then everyone was doing stories, yeah. And then away you go. Mm. So um, uh, Chevy Chase was massive, especially in the later part of the 80s. He hosted the Oscars in 87 and 88. Awesome. He's got a real, he's got a real sort of, uh, he's got a real kind of sarcastic. His humour is like sarcasm, completely dry sarcasm. He doesn't sort of laugh at his own jokes and all that kind of shit. He's not a laugher. You know what I mean? Like some comedians really piss themselves laughing in their act or whatever. He is not like that at all. He's just he's sarcastic and dry, and that's his thing. That's his sort of uh, his signature. Is a little trademark. And it's good when right? uh, comedians do shows like that because it's really funny because they don't hold back and everything yeah. we're thinking they usually say. Like Ricky Gervais is really good at that stuff now, you know. He is, when, when, absolutely. When you look at absolutely. what's happening now. But in the 80s when they started, I mean comedy was hot, you're right. It was all, it was everywhere, absolutely everywhere. Comedy was really hot in the 80s, really hot. It was sort of... Uh, just exciting and really edgy. And if you think of um, the 80s as politically being a little bit conservative because of, say, Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher and so forth, um, you know, they were big kind of conservative political movements. In the artistic arena, um, people were really pushing the envelope in music but in comedy as well because you could – uh, comedians could get away with satirising those kind of political figures and, of course, doing impressions of these political figures and all kinds of people, you know, doing impressions was huge and it was a way that they could kind of poke fun at these bigger kind of authority figures and, and fucking get away with it. It's like, hey, I'm a comedian, it's my job, you know. But, you know, it didn't stop the kind of wowsers from trying to censor these people as well, you know. Comedy was another area like music where artists were – they, they were attempting to censor these people and it's it's fucking ridiculous as well you know you should be able to should be able to go to town with your comedy and at the end of the day that's the area where you do push the envelope 
Yeah, well, that's right. And nowadays we're also um, protective of people's feelings and, and making sure that we're not offending anyone, that comedy is sort of something you do on a podcast now or you do live yes. and you can do it on yes. a DVD. But, you know, people are getting a little bit, you know, it just depends on the comedian. But like Paul Hogan and Delvine Delaney came out the other night and said how it's fucked that we can't joke about stuff anymore. And... The stuff yeah. that Paul Hogan used to joke about, you could not get away with at all nowadays. Oh, God, no. Oh, God, no. Well, look, it sort of, I mean, it did, you know, it had tinges of racism and chauvinism and all kinds of things, um, which I mean, I'm not, I'm not condoning, but if you're joking about it, if you're joking, and I know you, I know with you and I and Maddie, we have the sickest fucking yeah, senses of, of humour. Of course, of course. We we actually, I mean, we we try not we try not to hold back during the show. But I mean, when we're just having a drink and we're not doing the show, we go to fucking yeah, town. Exactly, mate. Oh, you know, like so. Um, if you're if you're having a joke, you can joke about fucking anything. I saw a um. I saw a fucking um, it was that it was that series that Jerry Seinfeld currently does on Netflix where he goes and has a coffee with you know he'll get in a really hot car and he'll go and pick up a comedian and they'll chat for the entire journey to going and having a coffee they'll have a coffee and then it'll drop them home and that's the premise of the show but they he was talking within the show about how uh, comedians will joke about fucking. Everything. Mm. Somebody will die and they will literally two minutes later start start thinking about jokes about that person. Yeah. If not straight away. Yeah. You know. And thank God for it. Like fucking thank God for it. What are you meant to cry for the rest of your life? Yeah. Like thank God for these guys for finding the funny in everything, you know. Well, if you don't find the funny in life, you're going to fucking die because – it's not funny anymore, you know what I mean? There's so many stupid situations in life that you've got to laugh at, oh. you know. And look, like life can be a fucking burning hell. We all know that. You might as well spend your life laughing. You know, you might as well f- look and find the absurdity of life, l- find it everywhere and just, you know, spend your life laughing. You might as well because it's all absurd when you fucking think about it, you know. Yeah. So let's take a – let's have a little look at Paul Hogan because I had him as one of my favourite comedians of the 80s and he was sort of 70s as well. But the funniest thing I saw Paul Hogan do was um, Rod Stewart. He actually put a wig on (laughs) and did Rod Stewart and mimed – I think it was Young Turks, I'm pretty sure – but it was so great. When you're a kid watching it, it was so great. But I did oh, wow. yeah, I did happen to watch uh, – Maddie and I sat here and watched Crocodile Dundee, the new one. Is it Crocodile oh, Dundee? Fucking horrid. It's something, to, something about the Mr Dundee not or funny, something, isn't it? Not funny, not funny. Very boring. I've got some friends in that who, who, um, who did that, but I, I can't imagine it would be overly funny with – that Kenny guy, you know, I, sorry, mate, I can't stand your sense of humour. What's his name? Kenny? Can't remember his name. But. You know, the fat. Print. Yeah, yeah, that did the plumber. Oh, what did he do? 
Yeah. Kenny. Yeah, Kenny. Oh, he did. That was right. Yeah, yeah no, no. He wasn't the most. He, Olivia Newton-John was in it. Olivia Newton-John yeah, was Kenny in it. Kenny is about as funny. Kenny the actor, whatever his name is. I guess we can just refer to him as Kenny and not get in trouble, you know? Yeah. Um, Kenny is about as funny as a car accident. Yeah. He got lucky, didn't he, I've that dude? Say. Yeah, yeah. Got very lucky. Oh, so Livy's in it? Livy's in it. There was another. I think Chevy Chase is in it as well. Chevy he Chase is. is fucking in it. There you go. He is. Yeah. And he's. Mate, Hoags was fucking enormous in the mm. 80s. He was. Hoags was enormous. Hoags was like the Australian celebrity in the 80s. Yeah. Absolutely. He was our biggest fucking export. And like. In the eighties, it was either uh, it was either Land Down Under the song, or it was Crocodile Dundee. That was Australian culture to the rest of the totally. world, totally, and especially America. Yeah, and for a comedian to have their own show, like it was kind of like a Benny Hill, Paul Hogan show, was a similar sort of thing. It was all based around sexuality. It was based around picking chicks up at the pub and running around and chasing. Yeah. It was fantastic and Dolveen was fantastic in it as well. Well, it was all sort of tits and bum yeah. humour like slapping them on the ass and, and having a bit bit sort of Benny Hill but sexy. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, absolutely not so daggy. And there was Strop. Yeah. Strop was awesome. Yeah, and Strop ended yeah. up marrying Dolveen. They're, they're still married. He did. Yeah. Talk about bloody punching above your weight, Strop. I know. Strop. <laughs> Good on him. Strop must have had a big eight-inch strop, big I imagine. Big strap, that's right. Big stropper. <laughs> big throbbing strop. Ah. Must have, mate, because Delvine was a sex symbol there, wasn't she? Everyone loved she her. She was stunning. She was absolutely stunning. So, um, of course, Paul would do, I think he did one and two, Crocodile Dundee one and two back to back. And he sort of got – Paul got a lot of bad publicity because he – during all the Paul Hogan show years, which he was hugely popular in Australia, um, and then with the – then with the, uh, you know, Australian tourism campaign and everything that he did, which made him even more sort of popular, he had the same missus. He had sort of Nolene – was it Nolene? Nolene. Nolene Hogan? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. And, uh, you know, had the same missus. They had all kids and everything. And then when Crocodile Dundee came along, Paul had an affair with his co-star, um, Linda Kislowski. I think he was already and shagging a whole lot of other chicks anyway. Really? Yeah. Maybe he met her at the auditions and sort of. No, no, he was already shagging different women. Paul Hogan. Was he? Yeah, yeah. If you, have you seen this special, the Aussie special they did on him? Actually, I would like to say yes. Yeah, no, but it wasn't no. bad. It wasn't bad, and he was a bit of a the, womanizer. You mean the telefilm? The telefilm, the, yeah. He was. A, it yeah, was a bit of a womanizer, yeah. the old Paul Hogan. So people didn't like that about him. Um, yeah, but it was definitely when he got with Linda, Linda, that he copped the most flack. Yeah, well, he left Nolene for Linda, and and sort of Nolene, he got a lot of bad press for that because. If there's one thing about Aussies, they don't like they don't like when other Aussies think they're a little bit better. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it was perceived that he was kind of leaving his down to earth 
kind of salt of the earth wife because he had gone all Hollywood and so he, you know, he was going and uh, having a relationship with this Hollywood actress, you know what I mean? And Aussies really didn't like uh, the fact that Paul had become Hollywood and effectively was leaving them, you know, Mm. not just leaving Nolene but leaving Australia Mm. as well, you know. To an American. Yeah. They used to get followed around by the fucking press. He, they basically. Can you remember they lived in, they lived in, uh, in and around Byron Bay. They had a massive estate in Byron Bay. Yeah. And they actually, they actually had to leave, uh, because they got so much fucking media attention. Yeah, I've never been to Byron. Never ever been to it's Byron. It's beautiful. It's beautiful, but. Um, it's that it's sort of far enough away from Sydney but close enough to Sydney that any celebrities within Sydney, if they want to have a little getaway and they don't want to go all the way to the Gold Coast, they will just go to Byron. Yeah. Because still in New South Wales, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So they'll go to Byron. It's really hippie-ish as well. It's got a really kind of like holistic hippie mm. vibe. Um, so celebrities would start going to Byron to have their holidays and everything and – the the media got onto that. The media really got onto that, and so you you go to Byron, and there's paps at the fucking airport. What nowadays? Yes. Really? There's paps at the fucking airport just waiting to see who will who will get off the next flight from Sydney. Hundred percent. Wow. Hundred percent. And I and they live that you know they. They actually – certain paps actually live just in Byron Bay uh, trying to get photos of uh, celebrities. I've, I've had it ha- happen to me and my missus. Yeah, right. We went to we, – we did not know this. My ex I'm talking about. We, we, um, we did not know this, of course. Right. Went to Byron to have a bit of a getaway and then the week later here's all these photos of us fucking walking on the oh. beach, page three of fucking Woman's Day. It was the most horrible, horrible fucking thing. Now feeling. you mention that, that was a big thing in the 80s to shoot people at Byron. You're right. Yep, yep. Yeah. It was, uh, it was, having that happen to you when you think that you're um, getting away from it all and having a few moments alone, especially at this particular time for me and my missus, it was a really kind of crucial t- – we had had a great time there. We had had a really great time. It was a real sort of healing kind of trip and then a week and then a week later it's like it all got yo- yoinked away from us because all of that – here's us like rolling around in the sand on the beach where we thought, you know, nobody even knew us and here it is fucking page three of Woman's Shit. Day. It was disgusting, Shit. the feeling. It was fucking yeah, awful. Yeah, wow. Anyway. That's first-hand experience because I remember that happening in the 80s. I think it happened to Hutchie and Kylie. It did. It yeah. did. Which was yeah, yeah. Happened, happened to um, Jamie Packer and either Kate Fisher or what was the other one that came after Kate? Mariah? No. Remember? And she had a... She was very fit, but she was a bit of a prawn. And she had she had a kind of um, fitness and swimwear line. Oh, oh, I know the blonde one. No, she was a brunette. Went out with Jamie Packer mm. after Kate Fisher. Don't remember much about Jamie Packer's women. 
Anyway, who cares? But yeah, no, remember, anyway, so, remember that. Yeah. So there you go. There you go. Anyway, so uh, comedian Semi, was there another sort of massive comedian that had a huge effect on you during the 80s well, as a kid? Well, I was going to talk about Police Academy and, and being a kid and that oh. trilogy coming out. I yeah. loved Bobcat. I thought Bobcat was hilarious. And I think he only came out in, in number four. He w- So Bobcat Goldthwaite. Yeah. I think he was in the second one actually. No, only the fourth one. Really? Because no, I had a look, second one. Um, Maddie knows about it as well. And I said, why can't I find Bobcat? Because I couldn't remember and I had a look the other night. I watched Police Academy 1. You know, it's yeah. cute. It sort of stands up, it sort of doesn't, but it's it's a funny premise. The whole thing of joining the police academy and everything goes wrong and because it was a job you well, thought all... about as a kid. You were like, should I be yeah, a policeman? Yeah. Absolutely. And it was sort of like I guess it, it was a very unique story, like having – Kind of, it, it's basically like Dad's Army or something like that. But instead of instead of like bumbling soldiers, they're bumbling police officers, you know. And and they had it, it was you know really great performances within it, uh, like uh, Steve Gutenberg. I think Kim Cattrall was yeah, in one of the. Yeah, she was in the first uh, one. Yeah, was she in the first yeah, she's one? Yeah, in the first one. Yeah, I think she's Fucking in a lot of them. Hell. She was huge. Yeah, right. Kim Cattrall. She was enormous in the you know? 80s, wasn't she? Absolutely. She was in bloody uh, Big Trouble in Little China as well. Yeah. And Mannequin. Mannequin was her big one, yeah. That was where yeah. she really featured. Yes. But I like Police Academy because when we were little we went to the, the theatres to see it. You know, it was that whole city square vibe of going to see Police Academy and it was the kind of movie that was for kids but adults. It crossed over. <laughs> so there yeah, were things yeah. that were funny that kids could laugh at and, you know, yeah, like the guy yeah. that does all the noises, we thought that was funny. But it wasn't until sort of Bobcat came into it where I loved it. And I remember Bobcat coming out and he was dressed in a Prince Kiss outfit at one of the awards and he came out yes. dressed as Prince. And it was the funniest shit I've ever seen because it was like yeah. this fat gut hanging out with the Prince outfit <laughs> on and it was just so great. And I remember him being totally funny but he wasn't around that long but it was great. Yeah, yeah. He um he did a few of the Police Academy films. That they were fucking, they were enormous. They they were really huge. Uh, how many how many films were there in the franchise? There's something like six. Yeah, isn't five there? or six. Yeah, and and you ah, can't that is crazy. and you can't find them on Netflix. You have to actually hire them. I yeah, had to play right, the video. Right. I had to play the DVD of Police Academy One because yeah. we've got it, and I was looking oh, for wow. the others, and it was like you must. Pay to like some movies you have to pay for that are quite huge and cult following, yeah, which is kind of annoying because it's like, well, I've got Netflix and Stan, why aren't you on this? You know, well, they probably know that they're big cult films and they can make a dollar, you know, make an extra buck bloody selling them, uh, selling them one by one, you know, rather than streaming them. But, um, I remember, you know, you'd, you'd see the odd. You'd see the odd pair of boobs in Police Academy. So, of course, as a kid I used to love them and all the kids used to love Hightower. Remember the big black guy? Because he was just like this quiet fucking yes, tower of strength. he's great. You know? But what about he's, the, the he's head like job kick- on the bloody – when the, go- the yes. guy's getting the head job 
uh, when he's giving his Commandant speech. Lassard. Oh my Commandant Lassard. Commandant Lassard getting he the fucking He was in every job. movie too. <laughs> that was a bit rude. That was classic. You know. Can you remember... Um, can you remember Hooks as well? The the sort of um, female black. Yeah, she was without re- the little she voice. Had like a voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she had a voice like this. I always say when I get annoyed with Micka's driving, I say that he drives like Hooks from Police Academy. Like, better not laugh, better not cry. Remember she's doing the fucking obstacle course around the cones yeah. and just <laughs> driving at fucking half oh, a mile an hour. Oh, God. <laughs> So great. But, I mean, I loved it as a kid and it was something that people will resonate with if they're listening to this because it was the first time we sort of saw comedy that was kiddie but crossed over. Otherwise you were just watching what your parents were watching. Now, can you remember a very specific joke from Police Academy and it has a real – it took a real cultural hold when – remember Mahoney sent the two trainers, the two sort of deputies – Set them up and sent them to the Blue Oyster Bar, and it turned yes. out it was a gay bar. Very home and it, erotic. And it was like, da, 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 da. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was a fucking gay bar. And the Blue Oyster Bar, that whole scene and that setup has really took a hold. Everyone knew the name, the Blue Oyster Bar. That's like that's like the kind of stereotypical name for a gay bar, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was and fucking I mean, hilarious. as kids, we were watching this. That wouldn't be allowed now. No, no, no. That's right. No, you sort of. Um, I mean, comedians still kind of have a laugh at at gays and stuff, you know. But it's different. It's different. Gays in the eighties were like it was like a figure of fun. You know what like I mean? The, like fucking the tooth fairy. They were like the fucking tooth fairy. Oh, no yeah. one knew of like, any of them, but we just... They were like the gay character, yeah. like the big camp fucking gay character, you know. Um, and certain comedians used to really, really... Part of their shtick was like laughing at gays. Eddie you Murphy? Think of, you think of like Eddie Murphy yeah, for one yeah. or like... is it is it Was it Anthony Dice Clay or Andrew Dice Clay? Andrew Dice Clay. He, his whole thing was... Um, um, chauvinism and laughing at gays. It was the whole thing, you know. And I guess kind of we still do laugh about camp stuff and stuff, but it's like gays are in on the joke. We're laughing with them these days um, rather than at them. And they're less of a story, stereo, uh, c- sort of comedic stereotype and they're more now part of um, – Part of you know you, you have a lead character these days mm. will be gay in a series or you know what I mean mm. so it's it's sort of different different in that way so been a bit of a shift with that stuff I guess but bloody um, old Bobcat Goldthwait as apart from the Police Academy films he was in Scrooged as well remember no I don't so Scrooged was with Bill Murray Bill Murray's another one which like mm. had a massive he was hugely iconic. Um, Bill Murray. Bill Murray was in SNL yeah. with um, Chevy Chase as well. The same same kind of period. He was in uh, Caddyshack. Remember the golf film? He was in Caddyshack with Chevy Chase as well. Yeah. Um, he was in Tootsie. 
Bill Murray was would be in Ghostbusters 1 and 2, which I believe were both in the 80s, or at least the first one definitely was. Um, and Bill Murray was in Scrooge, which was like a modern-day retelling of The Night Before Christmas. See, Tootsie's another one where we saw a drag queen dressed up and, and it was, you know, so funny and it, it was hilarious to laugh at as a kid. And now, absolutely, um, and all of me. Steve Martin was another one that my parents used to watch, and there was a movie called All of Me, which was just super funny. He used to have, yeah, no movement in his right side, and he it was just hilarious. Um, yeah, all of me. I can't remember the premise, but it was such a great movie. Steve Martin, wasn't it? Yeah, Steve Martin, and something happened where he wasn't his it leg- like a, bl- a brain transplant or something no nah, it was about is that something else all of me i can't Lin- lily tomlin was in it as well i think it was wasn't it about putting putting somebody's spirit in somebody else's yes, body yeah, or something yeah yeah or, or maybe or is that something might else might have been steve martin used to do some whacked out yeah, shit yeah i love man. him yeah he was one of the three amigos as well yeah. It was definite, uh, you know. But what about Aussie comedians? What did you? You know who had, and and this is sort of like where I tied in, tie in musos and comedians very close, especially if you're a live touring comedian. Uh, sorry, live touring musician. You get heckled by people. You get fucking heckled by people. You got to know how to come back hard and come back fucking funny because the crowd can turn against you. You got to have you got to be quick as a muso and you got to have some some fucking awesome fucking comebacks, yeah? So a comedian who really resonated with me was Rodney Roode. Rodney Roode, an Australian fucking comedian. Rodney Roode's whole thing was he used to play he used to play guitar during his show big big sort of musical you know element Rodney Roode he'd, he'd sing songs dirty songs really really fucking dirty um, he used to do limericks and stuff he used to do a character called Half Rude who was like a kind of he used to like get down on his knees and That's walk around right. on his knees yeah. like he was a short ass and his name was Half Rude and um. Rodney Roode's whole thing was like, get, you know, hey, you going, trendsetters? He used to have a fucking, he used to have like this tiny little voice and a stu- sort of stupid tiny little laugh, like, <laughs> yeah, you know, like that that fucking whole laugh that even you and I do. That, that's fucking Rodney Roode, you know, like that was his that was his act. But the main part of Rodney Roode's act was, were his heckles. <laughs> Sick your mother. I went to her house and got asthma. <laughs> Bloody feather pillow. And my face buried in it, she was tonguing my ass. I got asthma off your mother. She's a bloody nuisance. Him getting heckled by fucking Aussies and him coming back with the comebacks, that was a huge part of his act. And I, that resonated with me so much as a kid, especially being the youngest of four boys. I had to know how to come back. Yeah, Because right. my brothers had burned me and I would have to come back with fucking 11. Yeah. They'd, come at me, they'd come at me with a knife. I'd have to come back with a fucking bazooka, you know. And that's something that I really carried into being a muso. And um, I'll, I'll admit right now I, I, used, I used a lot of fucking Rodney Roode's comebacks. Like he had um, – I'll go through some of his comebacks. I tried to jot them down from memory. He um, – 
It just stupid ones like he used to say like, ah, shut up, mate, you sound like your mother. Right, yeah. Like that, that that's just dumb. And he used to call people mucus. Like, what would you fucking know, mucus? He'd call people mucus. Oh. Or he'd just sort of he'd he'd like kind of do like cold. He'd sort of heckle the audience, you know? Like he'd say like things like, Oh, oh, how you going, mate? Who's minding the pizza shop? You know, oh. if somebody looked a bit like a wog, he'd say, yeah. who's minding the pizza shop? Or um, he, I remember one in particular, a bloke walked into the room with both hands in his pockets and he said, oh, um, this bloke, this bloke uh, walked in with both hands in his pockets. He must have two dicks. It's just so, it's just so fucking stupid. <laughs> it's so fucking stupid. But he actually, um, he you used to actually poke fun at cops a lot. A lot. And it actually got him arrested in Queensland and WA for like there were cops in the audience. They got all sort of pissy about it. And um, I think the joke that he made in particular that got him arrested in Queensland was he said that two cops were having a gay relationship, which in Queensland was um, illegal at the time, Um and he said that the two cops were living together. They were having a gay relationship. One cop stuck his cock in the esky full of ice. And when the other cop walked in in his uniform home from work, he said, what the fuck are you doing? You got your cock in the esky. And he said, yeah, I thought you'd like a cold one when you'd finish work. Ah. No, like, that, that, that was the joke. He got arrested for that. And he actually went to court and won. Yes, he wouldn't. Because they, they, they verbatim repeated the joke in court and the judges were like fucking like holding their mouth, like pissing themselves. <laughs> Will they pissing undercover cops laughing. or were they undercover cops or something? Because if they're not working. No, they were like. No, they they were like cops that were off duty that were in the crowd. How would that ever they go got to all, court? Because they, they fucking arrested them. The cops fucking arrested them or called their mates to come down to say that it was uh, like an indecent dis- public display. Really? Well, they can arrest you for swearing in public, even today. Even if they're under, even if they're not in on duty. Even if no, well, they'd call their mates or they'd fucking just pull their pull their fucking badge. Must out. have been old desperates to do that. Oh well, a lot of cops are fucking thin skin. Yeah, right. That's why they get into the fucking job, you know. Yeah, I just can't believe anyway. they even attempted that. Nah, well. So, look, Rodney Roode was um, – he, he got off. He got off anyway and it was like a kind of really big pivotal moment to do with comedy and what you could say and, you know, if it's part of a comedic act, you could – you know, after that you could go to fucking town. You could say whatever you like. Mm. And sort of Rodney Roode was a bit contemporary with like Kevin Bloody Wilson. Mm. Everybody would remember Kevin Bloody Wilson especially. Kevin's whole thing was um, – Playing playing songs, he was famous for. He'd release like a Christmas album, and it'd have like, "Hey Santa Claus, you can't. Where's my fucking bike?" You know, like kids loved that shit in the eighties. You know, like just swearing in songs and everything. That it made them Rodney Roode and Kevin Bloody Wilson like cultural fucking heroes. These guys. Yeah, I think it was more you know, the like adults, the uh, the mum and dads listening to that though, wasn't it? 
Yeah, but the kids would get the fucking tapes and like play really? them at sleepovers oh, and, and see, stuff. F- and yeah, my friends never did that. Oh, huge! Yeah, huge. I never had mates that did and that. Me and my mates used to pass the tapes around amongst us, and because you, you know, of course, you couldn't see this kind of stuff. Uh, on TV or anything, you'd pass around tapes or it'd be on records or say in like Eddie Murphy's case, it'd be like videos of his routines and stuff, you know, and it'd be like kind of like porn. You'd like pass it around because it was fucking hilarious, you know. Yeah, Yeah, no, I never got into the Rodney Reed and the the other dude. Kim Kim Bloody Wilson, yeah. I mean, it's very dated comedy too. Like it doesn't stand up now. Even though I know Rodney Reed is touring and doing all that stuff I, now. I played a Kevin Bloody Wilson song today and I sent it to Maddie during the, that day. I must still be a child because I was pissing myself Yeah, laughing. well, look, if you've grown up with it differently but it wouldn't stand up into a group of teenagers now if they went and saw, I don't know. you know, it'd be like, oh, really? That's pretty fucking shit, you know, like ost- ostentatious. Know, pretty fucking funny. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. it's dated comedy. Like, it doesn't stand up like fucking Eddie Murphy shit or, you know, it's very suburban bloody comedy. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I guess it's untested, isn't it? So, parents out there, play some Kevin Bloody Wilson for your kids and see how they respond. Yeah, well, it's untested, but they're doing ALH venues now. So, they're not doing fucking, you know, entertainment centres anymore. They're actually doing shitholes in Melbourne. Um, I think Rodney Reed's touring through where we fucking work. Like he's got a whole show. He is. Yeah. So he the, is, the, and Kevin Bloody Wilson. I mean, oh, are they both? Okay. Well, yeah. there you go. Yeah. There's no more entertainment centres for them, but um, there'd be fifty or hundred people that'd love to go and see it. But it's they'll just they'll still be playing bloody Twin Towns in on in Tweed and oh fucking, yeah, you know, it's Ruti, very Queensland. Ruti Hill RSL. Yeah. You know all yeah, of those. Yeah, that's kinda, right. Yeah, and they yeah, need money, yeah. you know. This stuff. That's right, Monday. This stuff happens, and and I remember uh, we did a wedding, and they had fucking that El- Elliot Goblet dude was the MC, oh. and he's not funny anymore. You know, he, it's same See, old jokes, and it's very yeah. dated comedy. Yeah, true, absolutely, and he's sort of the thing that I don't like, and you may have noticed this. People that do a lot of flying with your job. Elliot Goblet advertises his act in Sydney and Melbourne, uh, the toilets in the airport. Yeah. He puts his kind of ad up in those. That's exactly what I'm saying. Above the fucking urinal. Yep. Oh. Yeah. Well, like, you know, like, get me fruit for your next corporate yeah, event. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Like, no, and he's I'll a real prick. Good. He's a real prick. Apparently, yeah. yeah well, he yeah. wanted a light show. He wanted me to organise his light show for this wedding. And I said, mate, we've <laughs> got six cans. That's all you fucking get in. I didn't know you were <laughs> I didn't know you were here. I fucking you know, and he goes, Oh, well, I need a spectacular light show. I said, Well, no, you're getting paid four and a half grand to be here. I'm getting half that. And I really think you're gonna have to put up with the six cans. It was ridiculous they still think back to the 80s where they were that big yeah they can't get off that whole oh well now i'm not as big and i've got to do six cans and not a fucking light show because comedians at one stage were the highest paid bloody people 
in the world. Life. And then it sort of went into a lull where comedians didn't make as much money. And then unless you were highly commercial, you wouldn't make that much money in Melbourne or Australia doing gigs and stuff. And then all of a yes. sudden they'd get MC work doing a corporate function and it was $5,000 in the 90s to get yeah. fucking Elliot Goblet. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's and right. And they weren't that great. Yeah. But all it was was it was nostalgic and people went, oh, well, that'd be great. He was big with his fucking one song he had. Um, That's right. Ostentatious is always at functions and he had that one yeah. song, you know. Yeah. We go, you know, mm. that, which is mm. pretty funny. At the time it was funny but, you know, nowadays yeah. you just think, what the fuck's he doing there? Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Yeah. It's um, – can you think of a female comedian that you remember who was like piss funny? I can't at the moment but I did see one on TV the other night and you might have seen her. Do you know how I always say I was flashed at, at railway stations and guys had wanked their dicks and it was a big thing in the 80s? Well, her <laughs> whole shtick was about this. And I'm like, oh, my God. So she started off and she went, I was always flashed at train stations or at supermarkets, blah, 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 or, you know, wherever. Yes. She goes, have we ever known a woman to do that to a man in that situation? (laughs) And it was fucking. A man could only wish. Exactly. And it was piss funny. Um, But a lot of the females were actors, I think. Like you had your um, Lily Tomlin and. They were all in films, but I don't think there was many stand-up people. Nah, the only—I mean, the only way in in this world that a man gets a woman's tits, tits flashed at him is if you're a, is if you're a muso. I see a tit per yeah, gig yeah, usually. Yeah, yeah. A tit per gig, and because it, it averages out to two tits over two gigs, you know. So I may not see one. You with me? So you may not see. You may have no flashing in one gig but in the next gig you might have two tits. For some reason chicks think that's okay though. It's funny. You know, it's what like about the chick that <laughs> – They're like that the they're like putting Burvale. you off your game, you know. The chick at the Burvale eh? that had the G-string on that bent over in front of oh, you. Oh, and sh- she didn't just breakfast. show us her tits. She showed us what she had for yeah, breakfast, Yeah, and it wasn't that attractive. And then no, there was another guy. it looked guy. like she had had an omelette. Yeah. Huh? Well, I think we've spoken about this chick before. She was – remember, she, I think she was uh, living in a <laughs> – wasn't she living in a bus out the back of the gig? Don't know. Don't know, but we set her up yeah. with one of the – room. but um, when Brad joined the band, the second gig Brad did with us, which was at the spot, it was one of the first gigs I'd sort of hired Brad – we did the spot to close it and at that stage they had no other bands so we closed it as, the, as at the spot, right? Yeah. Anyway, so there was this guy, he would have been fucking 120, I don't know, big boy, size 16 maybe, and he kept yelling out because you used to get in the 80s if you're a woman on stage, show us your tits. Show us your tits. Like you were up there, show us your tits. At least once a week in the 80s, you know. It doesn't happen so much anymore. (laughs) But in the 80s that was a big thing. But this was like when the spot closed. It was 2000 or something. I can't even fucking remember. 2010 maybe? I don't know. And this guy yelled out, show us your tits to me. And I had one look at him and he was a big boy and he probably had a B cup himself, B cup tits. And I said, 
over the mic, you show me yours first, you fat cunt. And Brad <laughs> fell over. He was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, I can't believe she said that <laughs> to a punter. So insane when you watch com- com- comedians, it is good to get that stuff back out there because you've got to stand up yeah. for yourself. Um, but as a woman in the 80s, it was all about show us your tits. It was fucked up. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think I think as a woman it's very smart, even if you're not a comedian or a performer, to have a really good cutting burn of a comeback if somebody ever yells out, show us your tits from a car or something like that. Not, not that hopefully it happens that often anymore, but like if you've got a really good burn, get it ready, get it ready. You well, can even you had use no Sammy's chan- one we, if you... We, you had no other option. It wasn't like yeah. you had to sit there and prepare. It just happened anyway. It's not like yeah. it's the only thing in the world where a woman can get on stage and be heckled like that. And I think yeah. in the 80s yeah. we didn't have that many female comedians because that's what they would have got in the day. Yeah, It yeah, was yeah, seen yeah, yeah. as a, yeah. a really risque thing to be a performer on stage, full stop. Yeah. Unless you're yeah, a stripper. That's right. If you wanted to be something yeah. like that, it was really, really rare and a big thing, a big risk to take when it came to an audience. Yeah, that's right. That's right. There, there is that theory out there that, um, and this is a widely held sort of within the comedy industry, that a woman can't both be gorgeous or stunning and do comedy at the same time. They're like Lucille Ball kind of did it, but like a a woman cannot be uh, sexually attractive and do comedy at the same time. It's like they're they're separate things, you know, they're they're, they're fucking separate things. That's not me saying it. That's actually comedians sort of looking at the history of comedians and like, oh, okay, like who... Who actually successfully ties those two together? Because it's like, um, say if you've got like, say, Whoopi Goldberg or Joan Rivers or Sandra Bernhardt or any of those kind of 80s female comedians, you're not going to yell out, show us your tits at them. One, because they're just going to fucking tear your face off. But two, they kind of weren't doing that they kind of weren't using their female sexuality in that way as part of their act, you know what I mean? I just think people thought women weren't funny. They they well, they, they didn't think they were well, funny, they, you know? Yeah. That well, they I mean, should they be in the kitchen are. having babies, you know? That's that's how Yeah, absolutely. That's what, that was well, all I think that was. Um, Well, I think especially in the 80s as well, they they didn't want women to be crass and talking about going out and fucking guys and talking about going out and drinking and taking drugs and and that you know that's what comedians were doing they were they were kind of talking about their risque situations and stuff and you know the public didn't really want women to be joking about that shit you know they found it sort of too confronting yeah well that yeah you i know, mean whereas that happened you in music as well. You look at fucking, what's her name? Amy Schumer. You look at like Amy Schumer these days. It's, what she does is actually like actually quite revolutionary, you know. She's got a she, um, show on at the moment and she's having a baby and they've documented yes. it and it's so bizarre to see her serious. I can't actually oh, really? watch it without going, 
it's a little bit tacky but I yeah. kind of enjoy it. But it's about her and her husband and having a baby and stuff but she's quite fucked up really. Like she's not – that's the thing about comedians is, is, is that we think – they're these funny fucking pricks that live life laughing all the time. Most of them are bloody yeah. the opposite. Absolutely. 100%. Now, Semi, Robin Williams. Were you a fan of Robin yeah, Williams during yeah, the 80s? I, was. I loved Robin Williams from Mork and Mindy. Like I was a fan. Do you know that? Through the that's 70s. That's right. Mork and Mindy, of course. Mm, yeah. yeah. He, um, you know, um, Robin Williams didn't actually start as a comedian per se. He was like a he was like a trained actor. He went to the Juilliard School in New York, which is a big kind of fancy acting school in New York, and he was like a trained actor. Yeah. Um, and he went to the Juilliard School with Christopher Reeve, who was the um, you know Superman in the eighties. They were mates. They were mates. I love him. I think he's great. And he, I mean, in Mork and Mindy, he wasn't trying to be funny, really. It was Mork from Ork, but he just had some funny sayings. He was being an alien. That's you know? right. Like he was, was being. It's like a fish out of water kind one of. One of my favourite things, though. Yeah. Besides yeah, Mister Incredible. Ed. Yes. Yeah. Now, uh, Robin Williams didn't. He didn't do films until the 80s. So, he, he, you know, he was famous for Mork and Mindy, which was late 70s coming into the 80s. And he wouldn't do his first film until 1980 and that was Popeye. He played Popeye. Wow, yeah, I do. I do remember yeah. Popeye. That was filmed in Malta. Oh, wow. Really beautiful. Go back and have a look. It's like fucking beautiful. Well, remember, I remember Hazel it Dean? So clear Hazel as day. Dean, when she did searching, the video clip yeah. was in front of the Popeye fucking scene. Didn't you listen to that interview? Fuck off. Yeah. So when she does the video that I talked about with Hazel Dean on the Stock Aiken and Waterman episode, she said that the video clip to her um, video from Malta was in front of the Popeye backdrop. <laughs> Same year. That's amazing. 83, 84, maybe, yeah. Fucking hell. Yeah, it was very wow. interesting. That, so that sort of makes sense. Yes, there we go. Now, Robin Williams would do World According to Garp. Uh, he would do Good Morning Vietnam, Dead Poets Society, which he did in 89 at the end of the 80s. All, like, really great performances, incredible performances. They were, they were you know... He made them comedies, but they're like genius, genius performances. Those films. He could know? act, um, and I actually, I actually, th- he could act. He was yeah. a, he was an actor. Apparently, he used to do like an incredible amount of preparation beforehand. So it was all about building the character and that reality, and it wasn't about telling jokes. It was about creating characters, you know. So he was big on impressions as well. He was famous for doing his impressions and. And that kind of shit. Um, and uh, he's actually a genius. They, a lot of film directors and producers and people in the film industry say that they never were actually able to showcase his amazing genius talent in one performance. Like there's not like a definitive – there's not like a definitive Robin Williams film that – actually captures how genius he was 
apart from Good Morning Vietnam. They reckon that kind of him being a radio... He actually had take after take. They just let him go to town, let him do whatever he wanted and he would just improvise being a radio DJ and they said it was like actually different jokes and shit that he would pop into every different take. They reckon that's the one that sort of sums it up. So go and watch that, guys. Bloody Good Morning Vietnam. Yeah, I might have a look at that because Mrs. Doubtfire was his other big one, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah, absolutely. And Mrs. Doubtfire is sort of not until the 90s. That was awesome. But Mrs. Doubtfire is often looked upon as being like an unofficial sequel to Tootsie. Yeah, of course. Where where you've got a dude in drag but they're not doing – they're not doing like drag acting. Yeah, that's you know right. what I mean? Yeah. It's more about them. And they're, they're actually quite similar films, mm. to be honest. Mm. Mm. Tootsie and uh, Mrs. Doubtfire. But yeah, fucking great. I actually, I actually, um, I actually was looking at Mrs. Doubtfire <laughs> just last night and it's like fucking genius, yeah. you know? It's fucking incredible. And yeah. we could laugh at that stuff, you know? And it was That's all right. imaginative and all that bizzo and now things have just changed. Everyone's – Yeah. I mean I can't stand watching fucking Facebook, let alone watching anything that's oh. around now at the moment. Yeah, that's oh. right. Now, Sammy, I did a little interview during the week with um, a comedian that has had a massive impact on me. I've worked with him once and we've become – Great friends. I talk about Jerry Connolly. He's an Australian comedian for people that may not know Jerry. Jerry is famous around the world for his incredible impressions. He's actually a concert pianist. He was a he started he started as a a, a pianist. He he went to a conservatorium of music. So he would he would start doing I guess little reviews shows and cabaret shows, and that's how he built up his reputation as a comedian. You know, he would play the piano and tell stories, and he would do his comedy within his review shows. Uh, Jerry. Actually, in the late 80s, had his own uh, like a like a review show, like a late night show. It was called the Jerry Com- Comedy Show. He did a season of that before he moved into being a regular contributor to Fast Forward, which was a uh, very iconic Australian comedian comedy show in the late 80s. And you would definitely know especially in the UK, Jerry Connolly, for his impression of Queen Elizabeth II. Exactly. Uh, And listen up now, I gave Jerry a call uh, while he was in Sydney. Listen up, guys. Jerry is one of my hugest influences. So have a listen. Enjoy. Hello? How are you going? Jay. How are you, mate? I'm very well, I think. You think? I'm a bit flummoxed. Where are you in the world at the moment? I'm in the town of Sydney. Oh, fantastic. Old Sydney town. Yes, Sydney town. And I'm I'm surviving quite well in COVID dependency. Oh, that's good. That's good. I'm... Uh, if I say I'm again, I'm going to jump from where I am. <laughs> <laughs> All 
All right. I might introduce you properly, Jessa, now that I've got you. Uh, now, everyone out there, Jerry Connolly has travelled the world with numerous shows as, as well as being a national comedy icon in Australia. Uh, Jerry is a trained classical pianist, <gasps> uh, a political satirist, and he has worked extensively in theatre, film, uh, television, and most notably in the 80s uh, with your own variety show, Jerry, called The Jerry Connolly Show, which was a fantastic coincidence, wasn't it, of casting? Not that it, that, that, that was, it was did, a great coincidence. They did. They auditioned a few Connollys. Other and, Jerry Connollys and you were well, the Well, a successful. few Connollys and a few Jerrys. <laughs> right. They were going to call it the two Ronnies. Right, yeah. But, or the two Jerrys then was the next thing. And, <laughs> and they said, well, what about one Jerry? And there's a bit hang, dangling, a right. bit hanging there, a, a, just a dangling Jerry. Yeah. So it, uh, they came up then with this surname that they saw in a newspaper article or I think it might have been an advertisement. It was going to be called like Monty Python's Circus. Right. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so I see. Yes. Yeah. And they they auditioned me and I had to, uh, phew, I did get a call back. Fantastic. Isn't yeah, that great? Eventually. Well, lucky lucky for you and lucky for all of us. You know? Oh, yeah. Were you, you born yet? I was born. I would have been in, oh, I would have been in something like year seven or something like that. So around, no, year six or five or one of those. Oh, just one you know? of them. Pro- just say a year instead of seven. Yeah, oh, no. primary oh, school, you know. That's when primary. Yeah. That's like people say, oh, oh they tell long, boring stories. I say it was the Wednesday. No, it wasn't. Was it the was it Wednesday? Yeah, well, no, it was the Thursday. Uh, yes, that's. No, sorry, it was a, and you've forgotten what they're talking about. <laughs> and the people listening have since suicided because it's, yeah, so, you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, from, from your own show in 1988, you would then move to uh, popular skit show Fast Forward. Skit, oh, that's a good word. <laughs> yeah, skit, oh, thank God. And um, also sort of very mem- memorable appearances on Hey Hey It's Saturday. We've, we've talked quite often about Hey Hey on the 80s montage because it's oh, a big, yes. big sort of 80s staple and family favourite, you know. It's an anchor for the 80s. Yes, yes. Uh, the thing in particular, though, that our listeners may know your work from is your inimitable, inimitable and hilarious impression of QE2, Queen Elizabeth II. Ah, yes. And right. Joe Bielke-Peterson, for people who are, who have a great memory, Joe, of course, was the uh, Queensland Premier at the time in the 80s. In the 80s. And was well, a hugely well, yes. popular impression, that one. It was. It was more than an impression. Yes. It was a, a rendition, a characterisation. That's right. And it, it, I also did two telly movies in That's that character. That's right, in, but, as that character. But it was a different slant. Yes. That, that was... Uh, that was with acres of prosthetic makeup. <laughs> yes, yeah. Was that sort of their choice or your choice to go in with the prosthetics with that with that I, film? Well, I think the producers wanted a realistic rendition and not a comic turn. That's right. And they just they decided it was me. I think later that someone like Bob Ellis said that it should have been. You know, 
another person, yeah. not me. Right. Not me okay. with a whole lot of uh, Joe Bielke said he looks like he forgot to put his head in a bag of flour. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, it was a bit strange. But <laughs> that were two movies. There's one based on the Fitzgerald Inquiry. That's right. And a um, dramatisation of that with Bill Hunter. Yes. Uh, and I wish I had the cast list there. I'll get it in a minute. Yeah. And you can splice it in. That's right. You know. And then the second one was Joe's Jury. <clears throat> Malcolm Kennard played Luke Shaw. That's right. Who who was a plant who, who scuttled the jury, which was a travesty of justice. Oh, and okay. <clears throat> so that again was from transcripts, and maybe a, a bit of suggestion uh, suggested the dramatizations of other scenes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, I think George Cole would have done a very good job if I'd if, if I could have coached him. He looked just like Joe. Nice. And, and I think he even had a bit of a gold tooth, a bit of a, a gold filling that Joe Joe uh, seemed to, if he ever smiled, you could see, ah, oh, yes. Ah, uh, yes. The dentist. Yeah, yes. A bit I'm of dental sure. work. That'll be. When uh... I have to come into Brisbane. We didn't, they didn't do dig gold digging <laughs> in King Arroy, although when my wife Flo, when I married Flo, Florence Gilmore, they, yes, they said she was a gold digger, but that's because I had lots of money. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> now, you've actually just, uh, like, luckily enough, you've just actually acquired Joe's actual hat from that period, haven't you? It was the actual hat that belonged to Sir Joe at the time. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it was uh, uh, not Sotheby's, Lloyd. Well, I suppose they were Lloyds of London at one stage, but now it's Lloyds Australia. Right. I don't know if they. I think they. I think the bell rings when there's a ship lost at sea, isn't there? <laughs> the bell rings at Lloyds. So 1912, it must have been pretty big. Yeah. When the tide <laughs> the tide went went oh, under, didn't yeah. stop ringing. <laughs> oh, yes. I'll turn that bell off too. We know. Yes. yes. Nice we bird. know after three days. Yeah. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> oh, Jesus. So uh, that hat, when I started performing as Joe Bielke Peterson in 19, say, 82 or 81, uh, I decided to wear, uh, uh, instead of a whole lot of, you know, silver hair or whatever, Yeah, I p- decided to wear a sort of a hat and uh, with a suit. And that, I was inspired by the cartoon of Alan Moyer, who drew who drew Joe. Ah, yes, draw Joe, G draw, G string. <laughs> he G string, show. He Joe drang. He drew Joe uh, with a hat, like and a hayseed or a wheat, sheaf, not a sheaf, but a straw, coming out of his mouth. And I used to, and, and very short. And so when I first did Joe, I would stand, I would get it, I would kneel in front of the curtains and have two shoes coming out from my knees. <laughs> and so it was, and a massive hat. <laughs> and I tried, and the first routine, I actually had a wheat straw in um, in my mouth. It's very difficult to perform when you've yes. got a, a hayseed. Yes. Uh, a hayseed, speaking like hayseed. 
And that accidentally took off, and that was at the Queensland Conservatorium. And eventually, so when I came to uh, Alan, uh, Alan, John Pinder seen my performance and he wanted to book me but couldn't see uh, how I how I could do a whole routine with changes until uh, the Adelaide Festival one year. In, at the Fez Bar I did 45 minutes or something at midnight and the Keen had just, she'd been in town for something and saw Mum John, this Michelle, which is a, which is an opera, you can imagine, and had slipped out of town. And I turned up at the festival centre that night. Oh, shit. At midnight, and people thought if she was still here. They, they thought it was really her. True. Yes. Except for hairy chin. And <laughs> they drew, 800 people sort of drew back and we went through this uh, uh, corridor opened up by a phalanx of uh, security guards <laughs> and the police or whatever have you, as people say, whatever have you. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and Pinder was there and had me then the following year, 19, I think, 86, at the last laugh in Melbourne. So that's the story of Joe and the hat. And, you know, other people who did Joe then wore a hat. And oh. I don't understand why they where they got the hat idea. And, and you're, you're like, you know, just hold some peanuts or something different. Yeah. Uh, Mark Gillies, Max Gillies, in his own show, he uh, did him without a hat but with the cane toad sitting on his shoulder. <laughs> yeah, I know, which I thought was offensive being a devout Queensland, but before, before, before I converted, you know. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> and so when this hat came up for auction, Lloyds of London and Titanic and all of that notwithstanding and the iceberg lettuce. Yes. the lettuce or the cars. Then it was suddenly on uh, for auction. I had seen it but had missed the hat at lot 5A. And then the hot was, then there's a sort of people started building up against me, and I was going to play it very cannily. <laughs> yeah, Jerry Cannily. Yes, that's right. That's right. Or Carrie Ann Cannily. That's <laughs> <laughs> my darling. <laughs> <laughs> Look at you with all that face slipped. <laughs> well, her face fell up having been, uh, having been sacked from Tetnam. Oh, yes, yeah. that's right. She oh. had it lifted and then it fell. It's Sorry, been, darling. It's been pulled back up, I can tell you. You <laughs> should see it now. Yes, that's right. They've got a U-Haul uh, contract to get it back up. <laughs> that's on right. The floor. Yeah, and Kerry-Ann sponsored by New Hall. <laughs> <laughs> when it absolutely has to be done. <laughs> yeah, that's right. When you've got a, all the jobs big and small, just like Carrie Ann's. <laughs> <laughs> I bet she does big jobs. She talks a lot of shit. I think she sort of really, she realises now that her audience are 
um, you know, deaf, mature, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You can say yeah, anything. Yeah. Re- 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 retarded. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and she really sort of plays to that particular gallery. So you know, uh, uh, yes, yeah. it's a declining gallery. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. thankfully. But um, look, uh, Sam. Uh, Sammy, who I do the show with, Sammy Hardon, and also uh, Maddie, who re- uh, produces this show, are listening in like a couple of fucking perverts. And Where are they? They're listening in the other room. And, uh, we, we, you know, we have all been lucky enough to see you standing in for uh, QE2. Oh, that's right. We're back to that character because that's all I've ever done with this character. I was just trying to think of of an instance where we've all been in the same room together. uh, But I remember another time. Yes, but that was with towels around our waist. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. That was another time. That was was a different character altogether. That was um, Malcolm Fraser in Memphis. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> I remember. Uh, I remember on another occasion you were standing in for QE two at the on the red carpet of the uh, AFI Awards, which is now called the Actor Awards. Yes, and it was uh, it was the year that Heath Ledger showed up. Remember, and, that's right. Um, you were sort of standing at the top of the stairs as QE two. And I think welcoming people as they were coming in and yes. all that kind of thing. And I sort of forgot myself for a moment. And I walked up to you and said, um, oh, Jerry, how are you going? And you, and you said you sort of broke out, <laughs> broke out for a moment and said, I'm not fucking Jerry, you fucking cunt. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Leave it to a total amateur That's to right. come up on with cameras firing. Yes. And, and such an important red carpet occasion. Say, oh, good day, Tessa. <laughs> what you doing dressing up? <laughs> who who, is, who have you come as today, Jezza? Yes. Who are you doing now? Now, um, and, and Keith Ledger yes. kissed Magda Shabinsky. That's right. That's and they right. tongued. And she said later, as if she'd know, he's a good kisser. <laughs> You know, but he'd made a homo film by then, so you know, anything, <laughs> anything goes. <laughs> anything. <laughs> That's a show that you and I have both done at different times. Anything goes. You- what? Who were you? Oh, uh, I think. <laughs> oh, just uh... <laughs> Reedy Todd or whatever yeah. name. <laughs> <laughs> Billy, I think, you know, the Juve lead character. Yes, it was, Ju- yes. It was, Alex um, Rathgaber played him. Oh, okay. He would have been better. Yeah, probably. <laughs> and yeah. sober as well, which sort of, you know, is a, is a bit of a positive when you're out there. Yes, yeah, yeah. I, I think you did it with, uh, you know, you would have been paid and I would have been begging, I think. It would have been one of my first. Oh, look! I was, I was, freshly eighteen. I would have been. Oh, I would have not even studied. It was when I moved from Cairns to Brisbane, and it was my first show in Brizzy at the Tivoli in the Valley. Really? Yes. And who owned it then? Oh, probably. I don't know. 
Oh, six of one. Oh, uh, probably uh, ja- Jackie McDonald or something. <laughs> <laughs> Jackie and Fiona McDonald, of course. 50-50 yeah. down well, the middle. Their last, <laughs> their last venture took off when they started the burger shop. <laughs> Ah, oh, didn't it? You can didn't understand. Yeah, you, you can understand like why. Wildfire. You can understand now why she left. Hey, hey, <laughs> you know, no. <laughs> just a, oh, just oh, flipping uh, yeah, burgers. Flipping burgers. <laughs> Fiona wasn't as you know her profile wasn't as big, so she probably would have been in drive-through. Yeah, you know. she, that's right. How can I help you? <laughs> Drive to the next window. Oh, my goodness. Now, I had the pleasure of doing one of my very first shows after drama school uh, in Melbourne. Um, You're a drummer. What? Are you a drummer? No, drama school. Oh, drummer, drama. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought you went to drama school. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and uh, one year on hi-hat was enough. <laughs> Uh, we did a show together, obviously, uh, you know, clearly we know each other quite well. Yes. And, um, I, you what know. What year was that, Ray? Oh, here we go. It'll probably be something like 2003 or four or something. Oh, know? yes. Are you with me? Now, you were bringing, I, I guess, a bit of prolific uh, weight to the show and I was. I squandered it the moment I set foot on stage. <laughs> So go on, yes. Talk about me now in and, a and, lavish way. And I was sort of, I was sort of second spear carrier from the from the right, and I mean quite literally because it was a period show. You with me? Yeah, I'm with you. And um, you, I guess, infected me with the sickness of of decorating our conversations with certain isms. Of yes. both uh, Frank Thring and Barry Humphreys. Yeah. Yes. So wh- what is it about those two guys in particular that you find fascinating? Were, that, were they sort of your comedy heroes or contemporaries as you were as you were sort of growing up and moving up or, or was it somebody else? And if so, who, who was Two it? Melbourne identities. Great. Both alumni of... Of uh, said St Margaret <laughs> <laughs> of Melbourne Grandma's Society. <laughs> yeah, yes. All the grandmas went there. Yeah, Melbourne Grammar School. Yeah, and and then they went on to drumming. <laughs> went on to drummer school. Yes, and so I don't. Uh, I hadn't had. I didn't think I'd had much. Influence. I didn't think they had in, that much influence on me, except that though I, for, for the city of the people or the people of Melbourne, they represented two extremes of uh, of male white maleness. I guess right. yes, malehood, and both from the same co- uh, school. Frank brought up in very. Uh, lavish circumstances, Barry more middle class, upper middle class, please, Jerry, if you yes. don't mind. <laughs> I was at Camberwell, Crystal Street in Camberwell, and Frank in uh, the Turek, Turek Road in Turek, or whatever it's called, 
Oh, no, was it Turak Road? Perhaps. Yes, in Ryland was the mansion, the father of <laughs> And he built the one, he bought the one next door for the party. So Mother Olive didn't <laughs> have to clean up. Not that we, she would have cleaned up. Getting the gin upstairs was one thing, let alone having to clear the glasses yes. and the leftover cheese. <laughs> And one was has been now sober for fifty years, the Barry. Yeah, yes, and Frank was renowned for his uh, imbibing, mm. mostly of a Benin uh, Moselle, I think. Right, uh, toted about in a in a carryall, uh, like a sports bag <laughs> or uh, a carpet bag. <laughs> and the stains he had. Interestingly enough, carpet, he had carpet burns on his knees just from taking the bag around. <laughs> um, so there was Barry sober and Frank, you know, sort of inebriated. These are the two spectra or, or the ends of the same spectrum. Yes. Everyone's on the spectrum these days. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm not. <laughs> and, <laughs> so and there... I suppose, lavish use of language, uh, baroque. Barry called his, uh, referred to Les Patterson's utterances as, as the baroque scatology. <laughs> yeah, and rhodomontade of the Australian politician. <laughs> yes. Beautiful. Nicely put too, Barry, by the way. Yeah. And, and uh, they, they, Got, each got a bit of a, into my brain, like a little earworm that mm. was never gone away. Yes, yeah, it's so much fun. It's so much fun, and I great I, company on long trips. Not just those two, but a whole. I bring a whole, a plethora, a whole stable of people to accompany me in the on the road on a long road trip. Just a long, long chat. Oh, who did you go with? Oh, just me. Everybody. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just me, <laughs> including. Joe. Joe comes on long trips too. And the the thing to keep myself alert is to allow Joe to do maths, random answers. Four <laughs> fours are 17, six eights are 67. Carry on one, one runs are one. Three sevens are 12, and I carry the one. <laughs> you can cop. Try to catch yourself out and make yourself laugh by the absurdity of what is going to come unprepared through your lips. Yes. Personally, what I find funny is when formality is built up, and this is something that I guess Frank and Barry Humphreys represent, that building up of a formality or I guess the pretense of, a, of, uh, of formality and then that is completely undercut by vulgarity. Yeah. I, I find that fucking hilarious. That's what I like to do with Her Majesty is to have a very formal entrance and then just release the cord. Let <laughs> open Pandora's box or whatever her name is. <laughs> and it's, so, you know, it's, it's absolutely genius. But 
Um, not everyone has been a fan of that uh, <laughs> rendition in particular, have they? Who? What? Re- remember, you got walk, you got in trouble. Oh, you that, got the, the stunt. That old thing. That old thing. There was a stunt by those cricketers. Oh, a stunt. Okay, yeah. And reportedly, and reported by uh, it was Ian Botham and Graham Gooch. Botham, you know, beefy Botham. Yeah. Such a terrible reputation. <laughs> trying to establish himself is now Sir Ian. Is that right? There we go. Along with Serian McKellen, or whatever her name is, Serena. <laughs> and <laughs> so he, uh, uh, that was a performance in, I think, 1992 or three. Yep. At the old, at the original parliament, the, the site of the original parliament in Australia, the exhibition buildings in, uh, in Melbourne. And it turned out... Oh, well, it was supposed to be a big do, but Australia was knocked out of the World Cup and 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 so the host country wasn't even representing, uh, wasn't representing the dinner and they thought they'd have every all the teams and it came down to uh, England and Pakistan. Right. You know, that's where Kerry Packer gets his name from. <laughs> Pakistan. And named after. Like, just like... But, <laughs> Uh, this uh, New South Wales is now called Gladys Berejiklian. <laughs> it's a uh, benevolent. All that. I said I'd do all that, but if someone walked me through, walked me up the the the, the main aisle of this massive building with two thousand people at dinner, and uh, both of them suggested I should be sitting at the, the English table, you know, when I came in as the Queen. Yes. Um, but it was when, I think it was when Fergie and, and the prince who dare not speak his name now, Andrew, I think they were having a divorce. And I, I, I opened with the sort of the Queen opening her speech, but then there was a foul letter. Instead of the words, she'd pick, accidentally picked up Fergie's letter to pen. <laughs> oh, God. And then I did an impression. The Queen did an impression of Margaret Thatcher, and that's when they left. And uh, stormed out, so called, but no one noticed. What fucking idiots! Jeff, I mean, Jeff, for God's sake, Jeff, fucking uh, idiots! Kennett, Jeff Kennett was the leader of the opposition. That's mm. how long ago this was. Yeah. At any rate, they they both went on about you know Australians have no respect and we don't have any civilization or culture, whereas Britain, you know, this pig of a man, uh. and. Uh, trashing hotel rooms and, uh, and his other behaviours, what we can't go into. Yeah. Uh, he said, uh, I happened to get the same taxi driver a couple of weeks later with my publicist and the, the cabbie told my the publicist that he had picked Botham and Gooch up that Right, night. yeah. And they weren't pissed off. They were laughing that they'd got out of a boring dinner the night before a World Cup. Oh. And when the, in front of the PAC Stadium, the MCG, duck, uh, both of them went out for a duck uh, to, and to the great cheers of my fans, 99,000 of them. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he, he did another walkout. Yeah. You know, walk off. You can't. 
Mr. T, everybody was there, the MCG. <laughs> oh, I was meant to be umpiring, and I said, oh, no, thanks. I'm not getting out of bed. The umpire strikes back. <laughs> who, who, who else was there? There was Miss, Mr. T, Bert Newton. There would have been. Oh, um, yes, that's right. Well, Bert, always. Schultze, Schultze right. was there. Oh, no, thank you. <laughs> what are those two listening in people thinking of oh, all of this? They must be finished now, surely. We've probably uh, we've probably given Maddie far too much material to uh, work with. We might just uh, start to wrap it up uh, and uh, come back next week with the... Uh, with the chapter, with the second part of <laughs> Yeah. One, yeah. one, one uh, episode one of 12. Yes, um, where we move through, we, where we finish with 1993 <laughs> yes. or two and then move on to whatever it's called. <laughs> Jezza, thank you so much for for doing a quick interview. You, Pleasure, you, Jay. You know, you're an absolute comedy icon in Australia. I hope you guys out there have enjoyed listening to Jerry and a little bit of the insight into what I have had the great pleasure of of uh, sharing company with. This this kind of energy, this kind of brilliance and genius. Thank you very much, Jer- Jerry Connolly. Love your work. Thank you, mate. See you later. Okay, bye now. All right, pretty awesome, Hart. It was great to have a little chat with Jerry there. Um, yeah, huge influence on me um, and a great friend, lifelong friend. Um, Jerry once told me that I would be the closest thing to he would have as a son and that was the, <laughs> hu- the hugest fucking, fucking honour. He's one of my heroes. Yeah, my heroes, that is that a guy. nice thing to yeah. say. Yeah, awesome. national treasure there. National treasure. Bloody awesome. Now, you used to love Kenny Everett, didn't you, Sammy? I loved Kenny Everett. I mean, I never watched it because we never got it. We only got it really late in Australia because it's a UK show. But every Christmas right. every Christmas time they would do the Kenny Everett episodes. No, it might have been um, TV1. TV1 was on Foxtel and that used to have replays of Kenny Everett show and stuff we never saw on TV because we were either too young or they just didn't play yep. it in Australia. So Kenny Everett was almost like a Benny Hill. He had a moustache, he'd dress up in drag and he was the first bearded lady as far as I'm concerned. That's right. The first one to do it. And he had the hot gossip dancers. They used to dance to 80s music and I fucking loved them. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I think that's where (laughs) Billy Idol's wife was on. She was she was a hot Your gossip. Mate. Yeah, she was a hot gossip dancer. Yeah. Uh, which was and they were hot. They were cute, you know, the dancers and stuff. But so I watched yeah. a lot of that to do with the mu- they used to have the right music on that show for me. Yes, that's right. Yeah. A huge part of that was the sort of musical routine routines and stuff. Really like sec very sexual. They used to wear like remember they'd wear like fucking the chicks would wear like leotards and shit where there'd be like a fucking inch of fabric over their nipples and stuff yeah. and like really full on, yeah, man. And yeah. in Australia they'd, they'd play it in the afternoon on the ABC, you know? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I didn't – I don't remember watching it at, um, much in Australia but I got into it later on. Uh, yeah. But 
the eighties was incredibly sexual compared to any other time. Seventies yeah, was yeah, as well. Seventies right. was, but the eighties they started to take a bit more gear off, and that was the funny thing. Well, eighties was the kind of breakthrough decade for the visual medium, you know, and of course. Um, a huge part of sex is visuals, you know, obviously. So they, they started bringing kind of sex into advertising, into music, into comedy, into films in a, in a massive way, in a massive way. Well, yes, at the end of the 70s was pretty sexual as well. Like That's There right. was a lot of fucking funny shit in the 70s with, you know, um, anything but – the 80s, I think with the fashion it became a little bit – because I remember being a nightclub dancer in the 80s and we just wore bikinis, you know. Yeah. And you weren't seen as yeah. a stripper. Where that's what strippers is used that to cause you were? Is that because you were coming straight from the pool? No, I wasn't coming straight from the pool but I should have been. Straight from Pran Pool to Chase's? Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> I actually didn't do bikinis but there were dancers. When I first started to go nightclub – when I was underage, I remember seeing chicks in bikinis, gold and silver bikinis, and I used to think, fuck, they're wearing their bikinis with stilettos. That was a big thing, you know. Then we started dressing bikinis up. And yeah, bikinis and stilettos. Bikinis and stilettos. And it was, that's what they wore, you know, and yeah. just started dancing. Yeah. And I remember this chick was dancing and her fucking top fell off, her nipple came out. And everyone picked on her and it was like, oh, God, um, the poor thing must be embarrassed. But she just put her tit back in and started dancing. Oh, and, and that's how I – Just it back in? That's exactly what I do if that happens. That's right. That's right. But um, remember <laughs> – so it's happened – Sammy's tits do fall out quite a bit at gigs um, because she's very energetic on stage – and when I was younger, even more boobies. so. Oh, and when I was younger, even more so. Oh, really? You'd wear yeah. your corsets and stuff in the eighties. Corsets yeah, wouldn't hold anything would be, in. That's right. Tits would be pushed out like a fruit basket. Yep, absolutely. Hey, I remember um, not long ago a fan mid-song just sort of tapping you like Sammy, Sammy on the leg. And like your tits out. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. Like, like your tits out. Yeah. Like, like warm, warning you. It's like, oh, thanks, love. Yeah. Good on you, I know, tuck, right? Tuck the titty. Well, in the late 80s, we would wear see through body stockings. No one gave a shit. With yeah. gaffer on yeah. our muff, gaffer on our nipples. That was the big look, you know? <laughs> we used to go out, and my mum and dad were mortified when they used to come and watch me perform. But yeah, it was just yeah. the style. Yeah, I love, I love that story about how your dad said when you were dancing, your mum was getting a bit funny about something you had on. It was a bit sexual, and your dad sort of, your dad just reassuring her and saying, "No, no, she she knows what she's yeah, doing." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Like he he had that level of trust in you. You know, like no, no, she knows she's a she's a. Professional performer. She knows what she's doing. I love that. Well, because I hung around with hairdressers in the 80s, it was all to do with what your hair was like. So if your hair was kind of layered and slutty, you had to go slutty with your clothes, which meant you wore yeah. less clothes. And it was not It was creative in those days to wear less clothes, you know, like 
yeah, to just yeah. walk in without a bra on or whatever. Nowadays yeah. you can't do that. But, I mean, you can wear a lot more being a performer. You can get away with a lot more. Yep. So I delved straight into that. And at the end of the day it wasn't like people were running up to you as a performer and wanting to bang you. They were fucking scared of you. You know, there was yeah, that whole, right. exactly. oh, fucking God, oh, no, I'm not going to go there. Jesus, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it actually kept you a bit safe. Looking like a freak show actually kept you safer in the nightclubs than it did looking normal and pretty and girl next door-ish. Well, they say, they what's that thing they say about performing music? If all else fails, freak them out. Mm. So, so, you know, at least, at least... You know, you might be fucking terrified getting up there in front of people, but if you've got them slightly on the back foot, you've got them. You know what I mean? If they if they think they're ahead of you or if they think they've psychologically got it over you, you're fucked. Absolutely. So the you know, one of the one of the best devices you can use is to fucking terrify them a little bit. Um and yeah, that that doesn't so go so well if you're trying to pick up as well. <laughs> you know, no, and that and that's it makes it a little bit. And harder. that's the whole thing with people like Chrissy Amphlett from the Divinals. She'd come out and people would shit themselves. She would never get a route like that. You know, like guys yeah, would never yeah. go. Oh well, can I have your number? But if it was, you know, Sammy Fox or someone like that that was, you know, done up nicely and had her tits out. Sammy Fox would be quite threatening, actually. I can't even yeah, think of yeah. anyone that wouldn't be threatening as an artist. Becky says that as well. Becky Thomas from the Mavises. She says that. Um, she says that like men and women would throw themselves at Matt, but she wouldn't get. She wouldn't get dudes kind of propositioning her because of her stage persona was was so sort of. Wild and crazy, you know what I mean? Yeah. During that time. Usually women respond but not men. Yeah. Women yeah. love it because you're doing yeah. something they'd never be able to do. But men yes, that's right. do not want a woman that will overshadow them or someone that's not that's – right. someone they can't take home to their mother. They don't want that. Yeah, and I remember – I remember Michael Jackson saying that about Madonna, like in a in a kind of rare secret recording of Michael Jackson reflecting on Madonna and him saying at the end of the day she's she's jealous of me, meaning, you know, Michael Jackson was saying Madonna is at the end of the day jealous of me because um, I will always have that kind of fanatic sexual adoration from young girls but she's not going to get that same thing from guys. You know, because she, you don't get that with you don't get that with guys towards uh, women artists in that sense, in that way. Michael was pretty pissed that they'd fallen out as well because they were dating there for a while, and I think he. Well, used she to made s- fun of him. Yeah. yeah, she made fun of him. Yeah, you know. yeah. I think he really did. I think he really did open up to her. And I think I mean, he liked she, her absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I th- I think he may have really been interested in starting something with her, you know. And um, she she's hugely sexually driven and she wanted to get through to the core of his sexuality, uh, sexuality in that sense. She wanted to make him over. She wanted to... She wanted to shave his head, give him a buzz cut, get rid of all the fucking chains and buckles and everything and, and sort of strip him down to his sexuality and he really didn't want that. You know, he really relied on his 
visual iconography. He didn't want to like lose any of that shit, you know. See, that's where um, I think Madonna she is was entirely a, wrong. Like Michael Jackson was fully sexual. He was so sexual. He was more sexual than her on he, stage. He was on stage, definitely, and she got the sort of crotch grabbing, all of that shit for, from him. Exactly. You know, she, she, so she what's got she all trying of that to strip, she, strip, strip him back to what she's learnt? No, uh, no. Well, essentially, she just wanted to. Um, she she wanted him to kind of develop visually in the way that she used to change her image all the time. You know, she wanted she wanted to go. She was really developing her act, moving into the nineties and becoming more and more sexual, whereas he was still doing kind of he was still doing kind of soft soft shoe shuffle kind of stuff, and you know what I mean. And she wanted to she wanted him to be more overtly sexual in the way that she. Saw overtly sexual, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's just shit because in some, I think Michael authentically was a lot more sexual than Madonna would ever be. Madonna was sexual but it was all put on. I don't trust that Madonna is highly sexual at all. Where Michael Jackson, we all know that he, we don't know what happened there, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's like we didn't know whether Michael liked boys or girls. With Madge, you could just tell if you three. I don't know. There's there's a lot of stuff that Michael Jackson taught a lot of people about sexuality on stage. Definitely, um, absolutely. And I just don't get that she would do that to him. Like I don't get that. It's really yeah, stupid. Yeah, 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 yeah. I do. She, she, um, yeah. So I'd be yeah, pretty he, pissed off at her too if she was sort of saying that stuff. He um he presented. Remember um, looking in the closet or in the closet or whatever. They he presented that song to her. He wrote it as a duet for her and him. Yeah. Uh, and he presented that to her, and she just laughed at it. She said it was shit. Yeah. And he got really fucked off, and yeah. that's actually what they fell out over. Yeah. And and he would go on to record that, and I think it was bloody Naomi Campbell that did the female vocals in that. That was meant to be a full vocal of him and uh, him and uh, Madonna. But um, I remember he he called her a cow. He 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 sort of started it in a way that he called her a cow or something, and it got back to her, and she had a fantastic burn, and it was like I'd rather. I'd rather look like a farm animal than a transvestite space alien. <laughs> Jesus. Isn't that awful? See, I, I know, just can't imagine Michael Jackson calling her a cow. But then maybe yeah, I he, can. He, he used to use he used to use cow as a burn for women quite a bit. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Nothing, you know, like nothing too nothing too sort of curse. Because he he didn't sort of swear, um, so he used to use cow. Yeah, he used to use cow for if he was ever slagging off a chick. I reckon the fact of the matter is he didn't root her. That's the fucking issue. Well, he didn't root her, and she's pissed off. I she she both of them have never revealed if they That's did or right, they didn't. They haven't, which makes me think nothing happened. But then I wonder, like, in that bitchy period, 
if they hadn't have rooted why she would be protecting him, surely she would have said like, ah, he couldn't get it up or something like that. You know what I mean? Same management. Conflict of interest. No. Same manager. Freddie DeMahon would have told them to both shut up. But he wasn't managing both of them at the same time. Yeah. He 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 did he did Michael first. Wasn't he doing Michael first and then he did Madonna? Yeah, but they were both at the same they crossed over. At that really? t- that's why they went out together. How else no. like Freddie was definitely I'm pretty sure Freddie was doing Michael and Madonna at the same time. No. Because that's I why Madonna he, I wanted he left Michael to start up with Madonna. No, 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 he did both. I mean, that, he would have um he would have fucking had his hands full. Jesus. Well, it was a bit easier then, I reckon. Because they were yeah. it was it was just about putting records out. You know, man- yeah, yeah, management yeah, right. now is just you've got to go and do this. I mean, he could get an endorsement every now and then, but I'm pretty sure he managed both of them together around in bed with Madonna years. He was managing Michael and Madge. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So it would have been a little bit of that. Don't fuck. Don't give each other bad publicity. Yeah. Because you're on the same sort of. You're not on the same record label, but you've got the same manager, and and I need to make money out of the both of you, mate. Right, right, right. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, fair enough. And it would have been him that set them up going to the awards together. That was a fantastic publicity. Pub- Do we even know if they even shagged? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. But we'd yeah. have to look into that, it, but. Mm, mm. Um, all right. Well, look, you know, I can I can smell the, the chicken uh, coming out of the oven, Sammy. Love it's, it. Uh, I reckon we're time. <laughs> Mick is making a roast tonight. We're, we're um, I reckon let's wrap up with our final comedian. Yeah. Who actually is very closely tied to Michael Jackson. And that, of course, is Eddie Murphy. Yeah. Number Eddie one. Eddie Murphy. Fucking huge. Number one, mate. Number one bloody comedian of the 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did SNL from 1982, 1984. So he would have largely come in to replace Chevy Chase when Chevy Chase left. Uh, and apparently he um, – there was a massive sort of hole when Chevy Chase left – and it was Eddie Murphy that kind of filled that hole, you know. And also he kind of was bringing a, a black comedian to television. There was already Richard Pryor who was a huge influence on Eddie Murphy but not on television as such, you know. So um, Eddie Murphy was on people's TV and he was he had enormous appeal. He was so, so popular. Eddie Murphy was so popular. He used to do... He used to do Buckwheat, which was like a grown-up version of one of the characters from Little Rascals. Yeah. Can you remember? I remember, and he used yeah. <laughs> well, I, I thought he Buckwheat used, was he used cute. To sing that fucking, he used to sing that fucking... Aunt Tice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he used to great. Do bet, he used to do Betty Davis' eyes, remember, like... Daddy double, daddy da die, she die. Oh, sounds like me singing. Sounds like you singing. Absolutely. (laughs) In fact, now I think about it, maybe I subconsciously picked up on that. I think you might have. Because you love Eddie Murphy too, don't you? I love Eddie Murphy, but I loved when he used to do the, when he was down in the basement. Boys and girls used to do the show down in the basement and the neighbour would knock on the door and he'd go, who the 
song is that? And he would be like, girls and boys, today we're going to, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, what's the yeah, jingle? that's right. That's, a, that's right. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I've always wanted to live in a house like yours, my friend. Maybe when there's nobody home, I'll break in. It feels real good to walk streets again after being in jail doing seven to ten. Would you be mine? Won't you be mine? I wish you was my neighbor. <laughs> Hello, boys and girls. That was a great character. You know he started doing you started doing stand up when he was fifteen years old. Yeah, fifteen years old, and he he is actually genius. You know, yeah, he's yeah. actually genius. A lot of his a lot of his comedy has to do with being a child as well. Like you think of his routines, like um, you know, GI GI Joe swimming through the water and all of that shit. Like when he's sort of running down to get an ice cream from the ice cream. Remember he does that whole routine when he has the ice cream man and all that oh, kind of shit? Oh, yeah, because we all no did that. You got no ice cream. We all yeah, did that as kids. Yeah, you are the welfare. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this is what I that mean by enormous. comedy that stands up. You could look yeah. back at an, an Eddie Murphy show now and it's still fucking piss funny, you know. Oh, absolutely. You absolutely. can look back and go, yeah. oh, my God. Um, like SNL, like. When he does hot tub and all that stuff, it still <laughs> yeah. stands up, uh, yeah. which is really interesting because it really shouldn't. Yeah, for sure, absolutely. All of his performances do. He's really, really smart. This is the thing about uh, comedians; their minds just must be incredible. I love constantly him. fucking, constantly having this inner dialogue and coming up with ideas and creative ideas and, and stuff. Constantly and looking every day at funny shit to look at and say. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's right. It's a lot yeah. of work being uh, a comedian. For sure, for sure. Um, Eddie would do his first film was 48 Hours with Nick Nolte. I love those uh, movies. 82, mm-hmm. yes, that was huge. Um, huge critical acclaim for that. He would do Trading Places in 83, which he did with Dan Aykroyd and Don Amici. Uh, Dan Aykroyd's another one. Like he was in, he was a big sort of 80s comedian. He was in Ghostbusters as well. Mm. Um about as funny as a fart in an elevator, mm. you know. I don't find Dan Aykroyd very funny at all. Uh, but he was in Trading Places as well with uh, with bloody Eddie Murphy. And in 84, Eddie would do the first instalment of Beverly Hills Cop, which was absolutely Huge. fucking enormous. Yep. I have heard it was the highest grossing film of 84. I'm not sure about that because Ghostbusters also came out in 84. So, don't know. No, I think it was. Um, I think we've talked about it before, the Eddie Murphy movie. Right. In, right. Was it 1984 it came out? Yes. Yeah. I think we have it was, looked um, into that. It's certainly the highest grossing comedy of the 80s. Highest grossing comedy was um, was Beverly Hills Cop. Fucking Enormous. Great. Incredible. Yeah, enormous. And it really, it made him, it really cemented him. You know, he was, that was like the zenith of his powers, Mm. like 84. Mm. Um, He was doing his stand-up shows Raw and Delirious. Yeah. 
um, in, a, in and around this mid-80s period. Which was just uh, a double whammy. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Huge, you know. Um, and that that was like a huge franchise. Beverly Hills Cop was a huge franchise. Mm. I love yeah, Beverly I Hills Cop. The f- still, I remember being a kid and seeing the shot of the two white guys dressed in the beaded outfits or the thriller That's outfits. That's right. And him walking in the side of him and then turning around and doing that laugh. It was the doing fucking funniest laugh. thing I've <laughs> ever seen. Because there were people in the 80s dressing up in, Madonna, in Michael Jackson outfits and taking themselves that serious. It was I a real a thing. Bloke. Yeah. I know it was a, a bloke here real in thing. Melbourne. Mm. Yeah, I know a bloke here in um, um, in Melbourne, um, Aldrin Woods. He um, would have was a bit of a bit of a stripper in the eighties and stuff, and a big name in the western suburbs. And he um, he's like stunning dude. Like he's he's I think he's in his fifties now, and he's still in amazing shape. But he used to have. He used to have sort of like long uh, curly hair and used to do himself up like Michael Jackson. Was he like, <laughs> was he Lebanese or something? I think he's Indian background. So he is sort of like dark, you know, and he, he you can't, he's sort of, you can't tell what race he is. You yeah, know what right. I mean? Yeah. Sort of similar thing. Michael Jackson, uh, Michael Jackson was the same in that way. He kind of, he crossed genders, he crossed uh Races, you know, he's very, very interesting character. But yeah, I remember that from bloody uh, Beverly Hills Cop. That was yeah, oh, and they exactly. were mates. Eddie, Eddie, and um, Eddie and Michael Jackson were mates. He used to, Eddie used to send Michael Jackson up in his act quite a bit. Mm, you know? mm. Yeah, and they released and a they song to, together, didn't they? They did, yeah, they did. They do, they did. Um, I think it was the nineties. Uh, What's up with you? What's up with mm. you? It was in the nineties. Yeah, because yeah, you loved yeah. it. You brought it up before. Yeah, mate. It's a, it's a freak show. That song. <laughs> oh. There we go. So Eddie Murphy, guys, undoubtedly the hugest comedian of the eighties. In a decade where comedians were huge, obviously we're. We're comparing him with like Robin Williams, Chevy Chase, and also a few honourable mentions, Sammy. Yeah. Um, of course, John Candy, enormous in the eighties. Uh, Leslie Nielsen from from um, Flying High, known now, as is, Airplane is in the US. Is he in Police Academy as well? That's the same guy, isn't it? Yeah, he's the main dude. I think no. I know. Or is that they another look guy? Very similar. Right, okay. They look very similar. Always but it's get them mixed guy. up. Always get them I mixed know, up. I know that same sort of white-haired American. He because it's funny yeah. you say that because when I was watching, I'm like, but he looks better in Naked Gun and Aero- or what was the airplane movie Flying High than he does, yes. and it was miles after that, so that explains why he looks better. Now the old bloke in Police Academy is the old bloke from Punky Brewster. Ah, it's a different. Yes, there you go. They, they I can't were remember so the similar. Name. Yeah, yeah. There are a few. There was yeah. There are a couple of actors of that ilk. There was the guy. There was the guy from Mission Impossible. There was Les- Leslie Nielsen, and there was Jeff Bridges. There was also the old prick from Punky Brewster. There was a couple of like old white-haired American actors who you never kind of knew their name, but they did a lot of comedy. Yeah. And they all they all kind of meld into one. You know. They did. 
Now, there we will close the show by a, a very honourable mention with Murray Fields. Murray Fields is an Australian icon. Mm. He was an actor in Fly, in Flying Doctors. Yes, he was. The only the good 80s. actor, by the way. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, yeah. no, Tammy was great. Tammy McIntosh was amazing. But not yeah, much else. Bloody, what's her name? What's her name? Bloody, you know. Halifax FP, what's her name? Oh, I haven't gotten to that. Rebecca Gibney. Yeah, Rebecca, she's a good actress. Yeah, yeah, she was awesome as well. But Maury Fields was the old kind of publican in in Flying High. Oh, fucking Flying High. Flying Doctors. (laughs) (laughs) Flying something. Maury would – Maury was a huge sort of old hoofer, an old sort of entertainer um, going right back and – he also did the jokes on Hey Hey It's Saturday with Shane Bourne. He did the great Aussie joke. So he was, in terms of comedy in Australia, he had a massive impact on people and families and kids during that time because mm. he'd sort of tell all the jokes mm. on Hey Hey It's Saturday. It was an awesome segment, you know, and um, he's a huge favourite, huge Aussie favourite and um, what a beautiful memory as well, you know, uh, to – to think back on Murray Fields during that time. I've got a couple of mu- mutual friends and contacts with Murray Fields and beautiful bloke, beautiful bloke. Is his son still doing comedy or not? He maybe He does sort of bits and pieces. Yeah. I'm not sure if he, he's even still in the business, you know, mm. but um, he could be, could be. We talk about Marty Fields, of course. So check it out, guys. Check out a bit of Murray Fields while you're at it. There's these four kids riding to, riding to school on the back of this horse, you see, four of them lined up. Motorist pulled alongside and he's looked and he said, hey, he said, you got room for one more up there? And the little smart aleck kid on the back lifted up the horse's tail. He said, yeah, you can jump in the boot if you like. Hey, I reckon that's close. All right, well, we should wrap it up so you can go and have your chicken dinner. Chicken, chicken yeah, I'll dinner. Yeah, i have me, me chicky wicky. Chicky wicky dinner. Fucking yeah, hell. On, yeah. It's nice to have a husband that cooks. Hey, thank you, Patreons, for supporting. We fucking love you. Love you. When, when ISO opens up, yes. let's have a bit of a get-together with Absolute. our Patreons. Oh, my God, that would be awesome. Let's do it. Let's we'll have a bit it. of a – if we can even have a Christmas party, if it happens around December, yep. we'll have all of our patrons for a Christmas party I at the SB or something. At the SB? What about in our Why backyard? Not? Let's fucking 80s it up. Oh, okay. Let's do that. Let's get all a right. fucking Fuck yeah. couple of tacos and a fucking mixed tape and start banging yeah. the tunes out. We can have burnouts out in the fucking nature strip <laughs> outside of your place. Absolutely. Awesome. We can at least nice throw one. up and fall over. Yeah. Good on you, Jerry Connolly. We're going to sort of add a few um, little clips of Jerry doing his thing. Yeah. In the notes. Check him out. Yeah. Thank you, Jerry. Good Thanks, on you, guys. Thanks, Jerry. Now, what do we say? If it's music, mateys. Or cool cool shit shit from from the 80s. 80s. We're going to talk about it. Unreal. Unreal. Take it easy. See you later. Fuck.
Hello everyone, this is Jerry Connolly and you're listening to The 80s Menace. <laughs> What's it called? The 80s Montage. The 80s Montage with Ray and Cammy. 